This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. But I would tell myself, leave my on the sticky note is prioritize your family properly. Like make they have to come first for everything. If that's not a value of yours, or if it's not a priority to you, then there will be casualties from that decision. Dory one, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Episode 72 of Military Veteran Dad. Glad to be back on the microphone. we got a great episode today. Before we dive into what that episode is all about, I want to talk to you about being a dad real quick. Through coronavirus, through everything that's going on in life, life can be extremely difficult right now. And I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to hear this message that whatever you're feeling inside, whatever pit that you may have fallen into, whatever your brain is telling you that you are, you are not defined by those feelings. I, as a person that is more emotional than most, have felt the pain through this transition just as much. The feelings, the thoughts, all that you have in your head, your brain can't help but try to keep you alive. And the conditions that we are in today are ripe, perfectly ripe to make that worse. You have a new cycle that continues to make you feel like the world could end in two weeks. The world could end in two months, but you don't know. And that not knowing creates this cycle of problem solving in your head that just goes on a loop. I know that that was there for me. I know I fight some of it sometimes daily that the idea that we just need to live in the present is so important right now. The future is the future and we really can't control. We mitigate the risk as best we can. We move through it as best we can. But we understand that what we have right now, right now in the moment is just being a dad. At the core of everything you feel, at the everything you're thinking about, the one thing that is pure, the one thing that is always there, and the one thing that's a constant through all of this is the love of your family, your wife, and your kids. Focus on that. There are days where I feel very overwhelmed. And the one thing that becomes my anchor point is a great solid hug from my kids. Just reminding me that what I feel on the inside is not how I reflect on the outside. I was recording a podcast the other night and my daughter, eight, about 8.30 at night before going to bed, slipped a note under my door that said, you are the best, I love you, to daddy, love Sophia. I, 
honestly felt that day, I was like, I did not deserve that. But that's the beauty part of kids. It doesn't matter what you think you deserve. You're already deserving of their love because you're their dad. So every time you think about what you're going through right now, just remember the one thing that will be there on the other side of Corona and whatever happens to you in life, the one constant that you have is the love of your wife and your kids. Use that, create amazing memories, and go out there and be dad. So let's dive into this week's episode. This week's episode with Greg Storch is awesome. We just, because he's at a different season of life and we don't get this season perspective so often. So often in society, we spend very little time collecting wisdom of people ahead of us in life. And in this episode, you will get some great wisdom that you can incorporate immediately into your business because he is an awesome guy on leadership and in your life. And even as a dad, there's things that I've already implemented in my life. Some of the topics we cover is the ways, the, the roles we play in life, not being ready to receive advice. Oftentimes that we try to think we would like, man, I wish I would have did this bit earlier. But a lot of times when you really think about it, I wasn't ready to receive that advice. And I probably would have told you to F off. Priorities in life, creating generational change, building trust within your relationship, realizing that you never know it all, no matter how much wisdom you think, no matter how much experience and depth, you can transition into a brand new circle and you can be the new guy. It's kind of like when you go through school, you graduate eighth grade, you're at the top of your game, you know everything because you're an eighth grader, you go to be a freshman and you go just like overnight, you go to knowing nothing and your brain stopped working. To bring it back to the military, did you ever notice how it was almost just like something about being a private, no matter what you did, that you kind of just turned off the ability to think? All of that happens is because we're in different seasons of our life, and it's in different circles. Like you could be an expert on the outside of the military, go in the military, and there's something about those early ranks where you just have a hard time problem solving anymore because you don't know as much as you needed to know. But as you progress, as you groom, you begin more confidence and you gain through it. Knowing when it's time to transition out. After 23 years serving in the U.S. Navy, he talks about how he knew it was time for him to leave. Becoming a servant leader. We dive a little bit into business. We talk about the leadership issues in the workplace today. And we wrap up with creating the life you get to live versus the life you have to live. That's something that a lot of people in today's society don't reflect on. And during coronavirus is a perfect time to talk about that because that is the ultimate goal. If you've been following the podcast, you know about my journey to create the life that I get to live, not the life that I have to live. I want to be a dad more than anything, and I want to be anchored in the memories that I create during these younger years of my kids' lives, and I want that to be an anchor point for when I go forward my own life. And so with that, let's get this episode started with Greg storage. Welcome to the show, Greg. Hey, thanks. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, Ben. I'm excited. We chatted before this and our sto your story of living in Italy and what you're doing. You're at a different season of life. You've kind of moved past the, the, the fatherhood where you're kind of just making sure your kids are you're available for advice when they need it while they go out and create their own life. So I'm really excited to hear this because we don't often get perspective at your season of life of looking down at fatherhood versus like, actually being in the thick of things when you're trying to write the manual every day and figure stuff out. Yeah, I, I really um, enjoyed our conversation, Ben. I love what you're doing. And, you know, I live that life, but 
now my kids are 25 and 28. Um, so I've come, like you said, come through a different season. But um, as a retired military and and coming from a divorce where the kids are, you know, separated geographically, they're not even near us because now we live in Italy. It's there's a different role to play, but there's always a role you have to play mm-hmm. in your life. So yeah, it's just a different, um, a different approach now. And that's important because I think you, you want that you, you never want to check out because you always want to be that constant in your kid's life as long as you can and as long as possible. And that's so important for everything that your, your kids, it, like in those early years, like you want to be that constant that they can come to because by creating that safe place for where they can bring whatever they're going through in life, then you can help make sure they get where they need to go in life as well. Yeah, exactly. And and I get to watch now as they're, you know, young adults and, and see how the things I did during my active duty time impacted them. And, and you know, my daughter's a nurse. She graduated with their bachelor's degree a couple of years ago. My son's married with his own child. Um, so we have a granddaughter and just seeing both of them turn into these mature young adults is kind of a neat place to be. So go ahead and unpack a little bit. Take us back. Tell, describe what your, your, your military service was like and what your family life was like as you were raising your kids. Yeah, um, probably like um, probably a lot of people can relate to my story. I was active duty Navy for 24 years. I joined the Navy when I was 17. I met my wife at a, a young age. I was like 21, 22. And we had our children young. I mean, I think I was just on the other side of 23 when I had my son. Um, and then a couple of years later, we had our daughter. And we were married for almost 10 years. The kids were about four years old and six years old uh, when the divorce occurred. So, so there's the first time I have to shift, shift gears and reevaluate how I play a role in my children's life, right? So, you know, four years old, six years old, and now I'm a part-time dad because my wife, because I'm active duty, my wife, my ex-wife is now the primary custodial parent. And so she has the kids all the time and I only get them for visitation. Got it. So let's take us back to you're holding your first child when you're 23. What was that moment like for you? Brilliant. You know, you're, <laughs> when you first hear you're about to have a child, you're like, oh man, I don't know anything about having a baby. And, um, you know, the minute the baby is born, everything changes that instant. The minute that human is in the room and breathing and crying and you're looking at them all of a sudden, like your fears go away of, you know, whether or not you can raise the child. You don't even think about it. You're now responsible to raise the child and you, you engage and, and take that responsibility on. So it's not a thought. It, it's kind of interesting, a, a little story when my son was born my wife and I actually had his name picked out like most people do. They pick out the name of their child before the child's born. 
<laughs> as soon as my son was born, I looked at him and I was like, his name was supposed to be Matthew Ryan. And I looked at him and I'm like, he does not look like a Matthew Ryan to me. And so <laughs> in five minutes, his name changed to Stephen Michael. <laughs> so it, it was amazing. Was Stephen Michael like a backup name that you had or did you start from scratch in five minutes there? Um, no, Steven, um, my brother's name is Steven, but it's spelled differently. And, but that really didn't have anything to do with it, but his middle name is my middle name. And so, um, that's where he got Michael from. Got it. We have a similar one. So we, when we, we, when my daughter, my first daughter was born, we had Sophia and Brooklyn. So we weren't completely sure on the name yet. And we went through labor and we had to get a C-section and the doctor pulls out the baby and essentially says right there, oh, it looks like a Sophia. And from that moment, I was screwed because then her name became Sophia and Brooklyn was out and I got to pick the middle name. So her name is Sophia Grace. But like that moment, the doctor said, oh, this looks like a Sophia. It doesn't look like a Brooklyn. And I was like, well, that ganged up on me and backfired. So we ended up getting Sophia. Yep. <laughs> Funny how that works, man. So maybe the lesson there is, um, you know, commit, but be flexible and keep your options open. <laughs> yeah. When you take yourself back to those, those four to six years when you were married before your divorce, what's a sticky note that you'd want to go back and leave for yourself on a table if you could have like something to pay attention to more that you have the perspective of time or the season of time to look back that you would wish you would have did more of back then? Or maybe you did more of, wow. like you were already doing something, but like you wanted to dive in and go deeper on it maybe. What a great question. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think at this point, looking back, and, and I feel like this is hard for young men, and, and it has to do with a maturity thing. And so I feel like what I would tell myself, leave my, on the sticky note is, is prioritize your family properly. Like make, they have to come first for everything. If that's not a value of yours, or if it's not a priority to you, then there will be casualties from that decision. That's uh, brilliant because there's kind of like four principles that I speak on the podcast a lot. And number four is your priorities and making sure that you always kiss your wife first and prioritize that your commitment to your wife is greater than every other commitment that you give. Your military commitment, even your commitment to your kids is still secondary to your marriage because your kids are going to leave. It's a true statement. They will betray you. And your wife will be the one left there at the end. And it's the commitment you've made to the end of time. And your priorities need to be represented there. And in the military, I'll explain it, that your commitments are like a credit card, that you're going to have to borrow time from your family but you need to come back home and pay it back with interest because if essentially that credit card will go bankrupt and you won't even see it coming and it'll hit you like a bag of bricks. And only after will you realize that your priorities were wrong and that you were spending like a drunken sailor and that the credit card company just wouldn't let you spend anymore. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and really again, that whole point about the maturity, I feel like, you know, we struggle with that as, as men, males struggle with the maturity issue and committing at such a young age, you know, they're still figuring themselves out, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, married and then having children on top of that compounds the issue. Um, and it can be a difficult time for somebody who's a little bit younger. So yeah, definitely the commitment. Would you have been able to receive that advice 
back when you were 23 or would, was your ego so strong that you thought you had it all figured out? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like my ego would have gotten in the way. It, it has gotten in the way of great advice before. Um, one of the things I missed out on was my very first duty station aboard um, an aircraft carrier. My department head told me I was an E2 or an E3 at the time. And my department head was giving me advice of investing in mutual funds. He was telling me how his, you know, he told me, I don't know anything about um, mutual funds or investing. I just give it to my investor and they, you know, take care of it. And he, but he made the commitment of investing, even if it was 20 bucks. And Mm -hmm. I, I listened to him. And in hindsight, again, yeah. Once you learn the time value of money, oh geez, you know, um, I I wish I would have listened to that guy. Although I did remember his advice, I just didn't take it on board until much later. So yeah, I believe my ego would have gotten in my way of reading that sticky note I left for myself yep. for sure. And that's step two of the things we talk about that one of the very first things in the military and on the other side of transition, the first thing you got to turn off is your ego because it's going to block out everything you desire in life. And it's going to tell you that you either have it already and most likely you're lying to yourself because you're lying on the inside and projecting it only on the outside, or you're just going to get so stuck in your ways that People are just going to leave you behind. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a great point where, you know, what can we be doing to help younger fathers um, travel through that journey part of, you know, the early days and, and, you know, establish those important relationships. Cause you know, if, if I was talking to me 35 years ago, you know, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to have this chat about relationships and how important they are and how you develop and build them. So that's a tool I think we need to have that we just don't get. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes what, if I reflect on it, the one thing that we, we think we're doing right in our twenties, but we're, we're really just in the wrong category is you think that the only responsibility, like the first responsibility is providing and you can easily get sucked into that trap that like the only thing your family needs is your financial security. And, and it's such an easy trap to get into that. And there's a, there's a wide society that says that validates that idea. So there's not much that, that challenges it, but you really need to like um, expand that idea of being a father is the one chance you have to actually create generational change. Like, when, like the one best way I explain it is always use legacy. Like when you think of your fa- your legacy as your career, your impact, if you're a speaker, whatever, like you want to like change millions of people, like that's great, but that's not your legacy. People are going to forget you eventually. Like your kids will be the, the best chance you have to, to, to remember and create a legacy that lasts and really focusing on that. And I think one of the, the, the coolest things about being a military dad either active or as a veteran is we've just lived an awesome life. We've seen so much life. And if you tap into that of what you get to do every day and help try to gift it to your kids, like that in itself is fun and exciting because you, you gift them all that energy, that curiosity. If you can take them around the world or take them explore the United States, like that's just a, 
a view of the world that you can give that very other people are even spending any time thinking about. And I think that's the most part of like exciting. If I were to write myself a sticky note, I would write back, like figure out a way to really tap into your depth of a person and figure out how to help your kids understand that depth and then go out into the world and change it. But you have to focus on that priority, like you said in the very beginning there. Yeah, that's a great point about having a different experience than most people do. And, you know, my last duty station, I was telling you, was in Naples, Italy. Um, So my kids, I was down there for two years and my kids were, you know, young teenagers at that point. So they were coming over for the summers and spending their summers in Europe. And so, you know, they got to, these are the kind of opportunities you're talking about is being exposed to different cultures and teaching them how people are different and how to accept differences in other people. That makes more well-rounded. Yeah, that there's more in common than that separates us, but how to understand that different doesn't equal bad. It just means different. And you can even assimilate some of that different. Like you don't have to repel different. You can learn how to take the best of what you like and leave behind what you don't like. That's that's one of the coolest parts. Can you see parts of that Italian experience even as your kids have entered the world to become? Can you see their decisions being shaped by what they view possible for their life? Um, I'm not sure about their decisions, um, but in their actions, I feel like they're a little more able to commit to decisions. I mean, they'll make a decision and they'll, they'll take mm-hmm. action. They don't seem to be fearful or second-guessing themselves. I think there's a confidence factor that's mm. in there. Yeah. And I think part, part of when you, like, I've heard it said, like a military child, they, they, ha- they have a sense of a fractured home, but they also have a, 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 a sense of fractured community. Like, they've had to get really good at getting to know a lot of different people and saying goodbye. And that's a well-rounded skill that when you can be able to build that, let go, but then also be confident in who you are each time you step into it. Cause you've got to go out over and rinse and repeat. Like you can't have four friends your entire high school career. They have to start that process over and you have to dig inside to figure out how to start over sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great point. Um, it's so many, so many important life skills that we don't even think about, but they're, you know, specific to the military child. I mean, one of the biggest communities are military brats as we call them, right? The, mm-hmm the children of activity service members who are moved around place to place every few years and have to, you know, adjust and, and learn how to establish new relationships with people. What a skill. Yeah, exactly. That, that, and just the, like the melting pot part, like just getting along with so many different types of people, ethnicity, like you don't get any freedom to pick and choose which type of neighbor you have. You have, you have a melting pot of everybody. You have to learn how to do that. And like, that's one of the main ingredients missing in society today is there's not a lot of that melting pot. People self-isolate. They, the Facebook algorithm only reinforces what they like. Like that doesn't bring in new ideas to get used to or to challenge their own ideas. So like that ability to grow up with that diverse view, like that's, that's something like, and I, I didn't have kids in the military because I didn't want that like separation. But as I've started this podcast, I realized that I was fearful of what I saw as only the bad part around me when I saw like military kids having to say goodbye to their mom and dad on a deployment. But that richness that can come from that military experience is also something to value too. And it's not talked about enough. I would say most people kind of get caught up in the hustle of a military life. 
that they failed to probably try to re-engage with some of the, the, the strengths and the positives of how they can make it memorable so that their kids view it as a positive versus a negative in their life or resentful. Mm-hmm. You know, you make a great point um, that even though you weren't on active duty or serving while you were having children, you still have that experience. And that's still something you can share with your children and, and yep. you know, give to them the legacy piece, right? right yep. we're and about. take it like your stories. Like I was telling Sophia, my oldest, she was asking about, uh, she's been struggling with like, she, she feels like everything is her fault. And often it's because she's the oldest. Like that's just part of that dynamic that you're the oldest. So you, we expect you to be more responsible. And I was telling her about a story in boot camp. Like boot camp, you get blamed. Everybody gets blamed. It doesn't matter who F's up. And everybody gets punished. And she wanted to know more about that. Like she kept asking really good questions about wanting to know more about the story. And it was probably the very first military story where she was actively curious about understanding more of it. But that little mo I used my life to help tell a story and help her understand something that she was going through. And that's the best part of parenting that most parents don't really engage with is they look at their story as something that's imperfect. So they want to make sure their kids have something perfect. But that imperfect part really can help their kids shepherd themselves through what they're feeling because it's just basic empathy. Like you, you can understand what someone was going through and like, oh, I'm not alone. My dad went through it who seemed to be perfect, but oh, he wasn't so perfect. That is a huge uh, gift that you can give your kids as a perspective. Yeah, no, I, I love that point because, you know, I, my background is leadership development and coaching, right? And so I, I see everything through a leadership lens. And what you're talking about is, is displaying, you know, behaviors you want your children to emulate and um, sharing that story and not everybody has a story to tell and they need to be shared with people because you just never know when that story's going to help or impact somebody. So, yeah, your story, whether you feel like it's significant or not, it is. Yeah, because to them, you are, you are their hero. So every story is just like a Superman comic to them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they so, get to like yep. visualize it and step into it and... I think that just builds that basic empathy and trust. I think that's something that else is a great byproduct because when you share something that is is imperfect and they share something that's imperfect, you trust each other that that's a safe place to say that. So I often say like, make sure you practice sharing the easy things with your kids because then they'll bring you the hard things. But if you don't have a safe place for the easy stuff, then the hard stuff they don't bring to you. Oh man, that's a good one. And and the other point is, um, you know, and, and, and leaders or fathers um, tend to do this a lot. They think they have to be perfect. But here's the, here's the secret, guys. The secret is your kids can't relate to perfect. So they need to see that you're, infall- you're not infallible. They need to see you failed. They need to see you're not perfect. They need- that's what they're going to relate to and connect with you on. Maybe let's go backwards just a little bit further, because as you were talking about your story, I think there's a, a thread that's staring out at me. What was the reason that brought you to the military? Oh, yeah, it's a great story. My dad was a retired Navy man. Um, he did 21 years and retired, and we settled in Florida. I'm from Daytona Beach, and I grew up there. 
And, you know, my dad didn't push the military on me. He only said one thing one time. He was driving me to high school before I had my license. And he said, you know, Greg, if you aren't sure what you want to do after school, there's always the military. And that's the only thing he said to me. But as I got close to my senior year, I realized You know, my parents would have sent me to college like they did my two older sisters, but I didn't know what I wanted to do and I felt like I'd be wasting their money. And so I, that's really the deciding factor was like, okay, well, I guess what I'll do is join the Navy, you know, and I picked the Navy because my brother was in the Navy. My father was in the Navy. We were a Navy family. So I picked the Navy and um, that's, that's what it was. It was fear of wasting my mom and dad's money going to college just to take classes and not know what to do. (laughs) That's a good story. Let me ask uh, maybe a side question in there. Did you feel like you were running from anything or did you feel like you were running towards something? Like were you running towards like a bigger idea of yourself or were you kind of maybe running from the fear of not knowing who you are and the military helped define who you are? Yeah, I was definitely running from something, but it wasn't as deep as what you said, <laughs> running <laughs> from something. It was really the fear of being the last one in the house. I'm the baby of seven kids. Oh, and okay. So, yeah, so I, all I kept you know, worrying about was, I don't want to be the last one left in this house with no other kids. <laughs> and so I was like, aha. You were part of the cleanup is crew. To join. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that was the real, if I look back at it, that was the real driver is I didn't want to be the last man standing. <laughs> yeah. And interesting enough, you kind of cheated the entire system because then you just stayed in for 20 and never had to worry about rubber banding back to your mom and dad's basement. Exactly. That's exactly right. So <laughs> you're like you you outsmarted the entire family because you're like I'm gonna cheat the game. I'm never gonna have to worry about coming back because I'm gonna create a secure life within the military, and that's gonna be it. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I always kid everybody when I tell them that story. I joined when I was 17 years old, and my so my parents had to sign the papers for me to join. And I always kid and tell people they I'm sure they were glad to sign them after having seven kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm sure even just financially, uh, that happens that way. There was yeah. some, uh, let me ask a different question. Where in the in your military service did you really start to tap into your leadership wisdom? Was there a mentor? Was it a, a moment? Or when did you start to unpack that? Because that's something I think a lot of veterans have, but I think we often get so stuck on the identity crisis of taking off the uniform that we, I, I know I lost it. I lost it for 10 years before I realized like, oh, leadership was something that I was really great at and I really loved the feeling of helping someone succeed. What did you do to help kind of like make sure that came to the surface during your service? And was there any good stories behind that? Yeah, there are great stories. I was a, I was enlisted first before I got commissioned and I was a dental tech. My rating was a DT. And so I was surrounded by a lot of great mentors, and I think that was the key. I was able to pick up. So to answer your question, the short answer is it was really early on. I actually just spoke about this a couple of weeks ago in the Lion's Den about um, learning these leadership lessons in my early 20s. 
And like, I, people would say things like, don't forget where you came from and your successes are not yours. They're, you know, the people you've led have helped you get to where you are. All of those little pieces resonated with me. And so I would take them and I'd put them in my leadership toolbox and I would just collect all these parts and pieces. And so I feel like in my early 20s is where I started to really catch on to leadership and um, I was, I caught on quick. I really promoted quickly through the ranks. I ended up getting commissioned as an officer um, and I, I had a great career and a lot of it was my leadership abilities. So uh, the mentorship was the key piece for me. Mm-hmm. Is there any piece of advice that you would want to leave other veterans that maybe can feel that feeling, but aren't necessarily leaning into it or believing that it's there? Yeah. Um, first of all, the biggest piece of advice is as soon as you think you know it all, there's more to learn. Uh, you know, I came yeah. out after almost 24 years of active duty, both senior enlisted and officer, and I thought I knew everything there was about leadership. Um, and what I found was there was so much more. I had didn't just know a very anything, narrow really. <laughs> I had a very limited view of only a certain level of leadership that we're used to in the military. So I think the advice is, um, you know, when you feel like you're leaning towards something or something's pulling you towards something, start digging deeper into it and, and grow, learn and grow. Surround yourself with people who are in those areas, find mentors, um, read books and, you know, I can't stress the inner circle or, or the people you surround yourself. I can't stress it enough because it's critical, the people you allow to influence you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a piece of advice. Mentor and watch who you surround yourself with. So let's fast forward. You're about ready to get out of the Navy. What was that moment for like, were you embracing the fear? Were you fearful of that moment? Was it kind of like a, a warm feeling that you were like, I felt comfortable when I was in the Navy and then you had it removed and you were going going into the unknown. What was that kind of moment like for you? It was really scary because my story was being prior enlisted. Um, I, I was eventually passed over on my second look going for 04, which is, was a common thing back then um, for prior enlisted sailors in in my line of work. Um, so a lot of us retired as O3Es, prior enlisted officers. And um, so I was passed over on my second look and, and from 03 to 04, that meant you had to go home. You didn't get any more looks. So that was how I found out that my time in the Navy was done. So like, you didn't even get to choose. It was pushed on you, almost like a medical discharge a little bit. Yeah. So here's, here's a scenario where you feel like it wasn't your choice. It wasn't your control. I was planning on just, you know, continuing on, I guess, until, you know, but in retrospect, I feel like I, I'm glad it happened because I wasn't brave enough to make the call. It was time for me to leave. I had run my course in the military and listen, you can't do that forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually, everybody has to leave the military. I don't care if you're 65 or 35 or 25. 
you're going to have to leave someday. So, um, you know, <laughs> knowing that and realizing it later, I'm, I'm kind of glad it was happened. It happened because it was a good time to get out. Um, I had 20, almost 24 years in and, you know, I, I felt like it was ready. So once I got through that mental gymnastics of being okay with the, the fact that I had to finally leave the military, that's when things started to get better. But uh, it was a struggle. Because, you know, can you imagine spending almost 24 years getting a guaranteed paycheck every two weeks? I mean, you just know you're going to get paid. That's money's not something you have to worry about. Like a check's going to come in. Mm -hmm. And then it's a constant. It's like pi in mathematics. It's always (laughs) 3.14. It's the constant. And and now guess what? You've got to figure out how that's going to, and, and I feel like this is a reason why a lot of people transition from military to federal service, and, which is exactly what I did. I mm-hmm. went, I went fed um, because I saw that as an easier transition. I was still surrounded by familiar people. I was in DOD. I was actually at a Naval hospital working in HR. And so that, tr- that made the transition easier. Um, but it didn't help me grow much. I only lasted two years and I resigned my um, position with the federal government and went contract up in DC. So. so let me ask you this question. What were you running from on the idea of getting out? Like what was that uh, fe- your, your greatest fear on doing it on your own? Yeah, that's the typical gremlin. Like, you don't know what you're doing. You're not good enough. You've never done this before. You know, those inner voices that are, you know, your self-limiting beliefs that... Maybe even that you've taken the easy road by continuing to stay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, (laughs) it's, it's interesting how your inner critic can really paralyze you. And it's all fear. Mm -hmm. It's all fear. And, you know, funny is, you know, they... I always say, you know, fear stands for false evidence appearing real, right? Um, And it's true. Every time I get just on that other side of the fear, I find out that it was all BS, (laughs) my belief system. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So So what would a sticky um, note look like if you left it back right before you were forced out? Like, what would you send yourself? if, If we go back to the moment you haven't been told you need to get out, what would you have wanted yourself to start doing more of before you had to be forced out and kind of wake up in that moment? I think, um, you know, knowing your value, knowing your value, you know, cause you underestimate yourself. You don't think you're, you have skills that transition. You don't think people want to hire you. You don't think you have experience because in your mind you say, well, I spent this much time in the military, so I don't have civilian experience. Boy, let me tell you, man, you've got some experience that employers want and it comes from the military. So tapping into that and recognizing your strengths, focus on your strengths instead of your weaknesses. I was focused on where I was weak, not where I was strong. And the funny thing is I ended up being on a big side of, you know, being great. I was doing very well. Um, You know, when I took that civilian job, the contract job, I promoted three times in four years to a corporate executive level. So, you know, my military skills are what helped me get there. 
So yeah, focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. You actually came, maybe came up with an interesting thought that, so like there's a joke in the military that like, if the military wanted you to have something, they would issue it to you. Or at least that's a joke we use in the Marine Corps. And if you have the idea that your life is already kind of provided for, that you can have a house, that you can get your BAH, your kids have some basic money, you get fed, you get a paycheck, you're, you get told where to go, which is your job, you can have that perception that your entire life has been issued. And therefore, once you remove the military, you no longer feel that value because the military issued everything and put you into every situation and you don't necessarily attach it to yourself. And what I, I like about the way this is this conversation is going is because the part that I wish the military would have done right during TAPS is would have just taken me to an exercise of talking to as many strangers as possible. Like going to an event, trying to sell something or just a networking event with 100 people, that exercise would have served me 10 times better than trying to figure out how to write the perfect resume. Because what I think you realize is when you have everything issued, no one is reflecting back your value. They come to you because the military said you had value and so people come to you because that's your position. And when you have a conversation, people reflect back the energy, the words, the excitement. And in those conversations, that's where you begin to figure out where you're strong, where your weaknesses are. Because honestly, I think that's where people get stuck is they don't really, like they're probably told like, oh, focus on your strength. But then they have like, I don't even really know my strength. I don't really know who I am. The military has told me everything that I needed to be. How do I know what I need to be without that uniform? But that, those conversations, I think, is where you can get that mirror to really bring into your life the opportunities because those opportunities could actually change your life and provide, provide a job that someone's always needed you for. Or you just get a better idea of how you fit into the world. Like those conversations, like I, I'm drunk on talking to strangers and addicted to it because you're always one conversation away from something amazing. And that's the part, I think, in that transition that most people don't lean into is those conversations is where you get that mirror to reflect back your value and you don't really know what it is. Yeah, that's a very interesting word, um, value and values. And, you know, during a, a period of transition, one of the best things you can do is take the opportunity to, to do a little work on yourself and talk to yourself about what your passions are, what, what's your purpose you know, if you have an opportunity to transition from one thing to another and you have the opportunity to follow your passion, you better know what that passion is. <laughs> you know, what, what were you put here for? What is your purpose? And so, you know, doing a little bit of the passion purpose work um, is a great time during transition to be asking those kind of questions. What is your passion and purpose? You know, leadership is your jam, but what is your passion and purpose? Yeah, my, my big passion is being with new leaders. Uh, I'm trying to eradicate the Sunday evening blues, those people who dread going to work. And it's, it's not the people. It's not the employees. It's, it's those bad bosses. And my passion is working with those. I'm trying to change the world one leader at a time. You know, teaching them how to be more servant leadership. I keep seeing servant leadership pop up more and more like it's this new concept. It's not. It's just a concept that hasn't been embraced it's by leadership. a biblical leadership. concept. It's been around for centuries. Correct. 
Correct. And it's just leaders aren't embracing the concept of putting people first before policies. Yeah. You know, I always like scary. the branding of it, calling it the heart-centered leader, because I feel like people can so often as a yeah. leader, they stay in their head. And that journey of 13 inches from your head to your heart is the one that you really need to take as a leader. Because when you figure out how to connect on a heart level with someone, it's the magic of Southwest. Like the Southwest, they have a hiring policy that they don't hire for skill, they hire for heart and train for skill. Because they can teach someone to vacuum the airplanes on the airplane, but they can't teach someone to care about vacuum on the airplanes. And that heart is so much more important because when you find heart-centered people that like connecting with other heart-centered people and recognize the value of human connection and want to create more of it, that, that's what creates that momentum. And I have kind of a future keynote that I've been working on of like how a more connected parent at home creates a more connected parent at work. And I think this is something leaders have a great ability to do is honor the, the, the part that people go home to. Don't try to take it as a credit card. Like, how can I get more time and send an email at seven o'clock that I want him to respond to? How can I create an environment for him to thrive at home so that he thrives when he comes to work? Because that's like the one word or segment that's missing in engagement is you can't truly engage someone if you haven't engaged all areas of their life. Correct. And, and that's the... It's funny that you brought up Southwest Airlines. Kelleher um, did great work in that, and that company is actually a model for servant leadership. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, absolutely. But you're right. That's exactly right. There's more to a person. I just this past Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, two days, yesterday, <laughs> on my spot on the weekly roar, I talked about this very thing: is is preparing leaders to lead, and one of the very first steps is. A developing that relationship with a personal relationship. And you do that by getting to know them on a personal level, you know, their family, where they're from, you know, these things that aren't normally talked about at work. And the reason what are their kids for names? that is just, yeah, exactly. How many kids do you have? Are you married? Where do you live? You know, connect with them on a personal level so you can um, better understand the person as a whole and not just the work person. I think that's all, the way you were, we're using the word whole kind of inspired something like making sure that so you treat some of them as a whole person. Like don't treat them as a silo. Don't treat that there's a work version and that there's a home version. It's really the same person. And if you can figure out how to tap into the whole person, you'll get the whole effort versus let me just figure out how to tap into And then like it also by siloing it, you create the crux of when someone's at home, they're thinking about work. And when they're at work, they're thinking about home, like, because there's this duplicity in their life that they, they can't overcome because it's just one or the other. It's an or statement versus an and statement. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That's the whole thing. So yeah, that's my big thing, man. I just love talking to people. I love coaching new leaders through that transition because you and I probably, you probably know this, that most of the time people are promoted into leadership position because of either longevity with the company for a long time, or they've got proven past performance in their technical role. They think that because you're doing a good job now, you'll automatically be a good leader in your mm -hmm. promotion. And those are like the two worst reasons to promote somebody. 90% of the time, the people you're promoting don't want that responsibility. Yeah. And so that creates a bad boss. <laughs> so that's why I'm, I believe that's where our cultures are being created and they're creating these work environments that people hate and they're physically getting Sunday night because they don't want to go to work on Monday. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> 
So let's maybe go to the future. So if there's another dad out there listening who's at your season of life, what does the future Greg life look like? What's your best life look like going forward, like that you're trying to create and get to? Like what's your next big uh, place that you're trying to get your life towards an organization point? I think one of my biggest focuses is maturing my business now, um, maturing self as leader, you know, trying to become recognized more as a leadership expert um, just by continually growing in the area, um, speaking uh, about it. And so I see the maturation of myself in, in the leadership process and just living a life where I feel like I'm doing the things I want to do and not the things I have to do. Um, yeah, just living, living the life I want to live. I could see you being like one of those House Hunters International people, though, where you have this house in some like Costa Rican area where you have a business that thrives pretty automatically. You've got that extra bedroom for the grandkids to come down and visit and that you're really living that life that you get to live and that you've created versus having to live where you're trying to do things just to stay alive. Like that's where I see you in that mode where you create this environment where your family can thrive because of what you've invested and how you've invested your time and money and effort, like that that all kind of becomes a fruits on the trees as you continue to grow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just want to live a life that I feel like living and not be strapped down to you know, doing this. And, and all of that is just on the other side of fear. <laughs> we always have fears, you know, we, my wife and I, I'm 50, I'll be 53 this year. And I don't know what my next move is. I, I don't know where we're going to leave Italy and go to. I, I have no idea. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap up here and all the advice that you've, you've gotten in your life, all the advice from the mistakes, what's a parting piece of advice that you want to leave for military dads out there? Military dads. Um, the big overarching advice is always put people first before yourself. Um, you know, the whole shift from being selfish to selfless. That's going to pay big dividends for you, but even more so for your family. Um, putting them first before yourself um, is going to be key. Focus on family. Um, family is a commitment. You you get to choose everything you do in life. Everything is a choice. It's A or B. It's black or white. It's good or bad, right? And whether or not you invest there, there are no bad marriages. There's only marriages you made bad mm-hmm. through choice. Because you, know, you didn't start you, off in the beginning, like, you know, we're going to make one hell of a bad marriage. It's not like your objective in the beginning. So it's like all your some decisions lead up to where you end up at. Absolutely. Right. I, I didn't say, hey, before we hit the 10 year mark, we're going to be Splitsville and I'm never going to, you know, get to see my children on a daily basis. Yeah, right? We're going to be a national esquire as far as a, uh, we're going to make it and have all these gossip rumors because we're going to be the worst marriage in the history of marriages. Like that's never the objective, but that's where so many people end up at. So I think making that shift from, you know, inward, the inward focus to the more outward focus is going to pay huge dividends in every single area of your life, your family life, your professional life, everything, when you can turn your focus away from yourself. And, you know, it's not always easy to do, especially Mm -hmm. when you're younger. Sometimes, you know, you're trying to just 
survive on your, you know, for yourself and you've got this family to take care of. And that's a, that's a competing priority and you have to figure that out and make the shift to, to focus on others. There's a good quote that I like repeating from Billy Graham that he said he's spoken in stadiums of 60,000 people as far as impacting and sharing his word, but he would have had a greater impact on this earth if he would have taken that exact same amount of time and invested it in his family. Ah, that's nailed it. Nailed it. Like that. And that's why like, there's a reason why our legacy is our family or family is our legacy and my logo because it is the thesis statement that I didn't come into this podcast looking for. I didn't even have it on my mind. And, but it's definitely been the anchor point that I've realized as I've dived in into these lives of military dads, but that is the biggest thread that we often overlook to weave our fabric of our, of our life together is making sure that family is always right there in the middle of it. Yeah. Listen, uh, you know, they can name buildings after you and erect statues that that's not a legacy. That, that's a physical structure that probably get tipped over, birds will poop on it, <laughs> whatever, right? People down the road will ask, whose library is that? They don't even know the person. Mm-hmm. Where it is, what we're doing with the people we leave behind. That's where the legacy's at. If people want to connect with you and understand any more about your business, where's the best place to find you? Um, the best place is my website. Just go to lion enterprise, no S on it.com. All right. Is there any best social, which, which social network are you on most? I'm, I'm primarily on, um, well, I'm on Instagram at leadership underscore lion. And, uh, of course I'm on LinkedIn, uh, pretty often. And of course I'm all over Facebook still. That's where my live spots at. So, yeah. um, yeah, lion Enterprise on Facebook, uh, Greg Storch on LinkedIn. All right. Well, I really appreciate this time. And I am so glad that my common friend or common friend, Andy Storch put us together. No relation to your last name, but it definitely made for an interesting introduction. And you're just one of many friendships that I am proud to have as a result of this podcast. And I can't wait to keep growing this friendship because I'm sure this tree will definitely bear some great fruit. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Ben. It was great speaking with you. Keep up the great work. Love it. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.